I'm Greg Berard, and welcome to my podcast on living a full life. It's become my mission to live an amazing life, to be the best version of myself that I can be, and to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves, and to create the lives that they want to live. This podcast is a narrative of my own personal journey, along with rich and meaningful conversations with truly successful people, exploring how to build great wealth while maintaining balance for family, love, health, parenting, purpose, and passion. So please join me. Let's take this journey together to uncover what it really means to live a full life. Today's conversation is with my own coach, Sarah Goodson. Sarah has not only helped me level up and to launch this personal passion project of mine on living a full life, but she continues to be my guide as I work to uncover my best self, helping me question my assumptions and thoughts, desires and fears, and also while helping me maintain balance and presence that's so important to me. Sarah was born and raised in Los Angeles. She, she became a certified coach through Gallup in 2006. She has a master's in organizational leadership, worked as a director in live production for five years, then as a director of student affairs and teaching public speaking at Pepperdine, all in her 20s, by the way. <laughs> and then finally, as an executive in mental health before she finally decided that it was time for her to become the CEO of her own life and to consciously and deliberately choose the life she really wanted to live. As a coach, Sarah provides high-level one-to-one coaching in addition to corporate coaching and workshops, facilitations, speaking, and she also puts on um, a coaching group for female entrepreneurs called Exceptional Women, which is a uh, sort of specialty program for uh, CEO C-suite professionals. Sarah's mission in her life is to support people as they rise to the fullest expression of themselves, their creativity, and their vision. And for me, this conversation with Sarah was just incredibly fun because usually my conversations with Sarah uh, revolve around me talking and her doing all the listening. And this time I was able to finally turn the tables on her and ask her questions, learn more about her own journey and how she is living a full and deliberate life. I learned so much in this conversation, not just about Sarah's story and her journey, but about kind of how she thinks about conscious living, how she thinks about living a full life how Sarah has deliberately chosen how to spend her time and types of sort of principles and questions that are meaningful to her and to her success. We discuss how the tragic death of a close friend as well as the birth of her daughter were two real key moments in her life that truly made her sort of stop and evaluate her life. We discuss marriage, divorce. We discuss growing pro with her passion of coaching. We discuss raising children, important principles, and amazing questions that she asks herself in order to help her drive real transformation. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further delay, please enjoy this very wide-ranging conversation uh, that probably went a lot deeper than we both expected with my friend and my coach, Sarah Goodson. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> so great. So exciting. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, have this conversation with you. And, you know, we're probably going to bounce around a lot. There's no sort of order that I'm planning on having this conversation. Hopefully, it's a sort of free flowing conversation. Mm-hmm. But I kind of love to start with you've built a successful coaching business and you've done it by referral only, and which is, you know, in and of itself impressive. So you're, you're obviously, you have, you have sort of gifts and skills in coaching. I'm just sort of wondering maybe where, where that comes from, maybe part of your childhood or where, where that sort of, where those skills and those gifts were sort of nurtured and how they, how they came. 
to be? That's a great question, a big question. <laughs> a good place <laughs> to start. We could spend all weekend really answering that one. Um, Go for it. <laughs> you know, well, first, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I think that the premise of what you're presenting is so critical and vital. I think that the conversations that you're having are going to be so inspiring into unlocking other people's full potential and other people really sparking their own actions to create a full life. And I think that you just really stand as an example, even just, I mean, simply putting this podcast together, right? Like you're not a professional podcaster. This is like, you just decided to do this and then built right action upon action to create it. And there, there are a lot of things that are happening in your world right now that would be great barriers to it. And so, you know, newborns, business, COVID, right? I mean, the, the list goes on. COVID? What's that? <laughs> right. And, and so I just, it's, it's such a joy to, to be a part of this and to support and then just to witness even just your own example, right, of this. So thank you. Thank you for having, having me on. Thank you for that. You're welcome. In terms of, you know, my coaching practice, my coaching business, it's been a, like, when I look back, I'm like, wow, this has kind of been a lifelong evolution. Starting back to, I'm the oldest of four girls, like four daughters. So already by the age of eight, I was like in a leadership position (laughs) just with my sisters. And so I think that, you know, communication has always been something that I have been naturally gifted in, excelled in. And that was my, you know, major in, in college. And, but really, I mean, just to, to go down to like specifically like the referrals and, and how I really built this. I mean, that part, some, a lot of it has been learned, has been learned, but it's come through kind of these, these principles that I hold personally. There's like three things that I really think about when I think about like who I am, my world, my practice, my life. And it's like the first, the first thing is like ownership and victimhood. Like, where am I being an owner? Where am I using life? And where am I being a victim? Where life is using me. I'm a victim of circumstance. So that idea of ownership is, I think, the first thing. Ownership in my relationships, ownership in how I utilize my, you know, my financial resources, my time. The second principle that I really live by and I think this really goes to answer kind of the, the spirit of your question is, I believe that everything in life can be used for learning, growth, and upliftment. So again, like even before we started recording this conversation about you know failure and lack of success and the moments where we fail as parents or in, in a certain aspect of our business or we lose money or something like that, right? It's like all of that can be used for learning, growth, and upliftment all of that can be applied. And then the third principle is really the idea of myself and everyone else are whole, complete, and resourceful. So that's kind of, you know, the owner victim umbrella is kind of how that's all housed. This is kind of just laying the the groundwork for for going to a referral-based only business. But well, let me ask you, like, what do you think would be most valuable to share about like the transition into coaching or more about what work looks like now. You did a little interview. Uh, I read a little bit just sort of in my research for the podcast. You did a little interview where you talk about directing your your siblings when you were a younger 
child mm-hmm. in plays and performances and things like this. Now, I guess my my curiosity was peaked there. So it's interesting that you chose, I'm sure you performed in them as well, but you chose to be the sort of director. Maybe that's just from a leadership perspective, but it's also interesting that you you stood behind and you watched what you could improve and what you could bring out of people in a performance. I know you were younger at the time, but it just seems like it's it's an interesting thing that you as a coach are also sort of the director. You're you have to sort of observe, observe, excuse me, the performance and observe how to bring the best out of your performers to make a, a, you know, a fun performance. I'm assuming that sort of, I mean, in my mind, that sort of looks like that's the early beginnings of what could lead to a coaching career, could also lead to a creative career and all kinds of other things. But Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did you, you went into college for communications, but did you, did you have a desire to do arts? I did. Was that, was that something that was important, like growing up? Yeah. So my dad, when he was in college, was a performer and post-college was a, he was in, he was like the lead in Jesus Christ Superstar. And he was about to go on a tour of wow. Pippin as the lead. And, and he was a fine arts major. And so he did really incredible sculptures and paintings and he was a natural craftsman too. So he did a lot of, you know, construction and set building and things like that. He's kind of just amazing Mm -hmm. in all artistic abilities. And then my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom when we were young, but she was a professional pianist. And so she played professionally for orchestras and her and my dad are very involved in their church. And so she was, you know, very immersed in their worship team and things like that. And uh, so I had definitely arts around me, but then my dad also had this day job when I, I was growing up. He worked at UPS. He was a delivery guy. And so there... Yeah, there definitely was like, I wanted to be Bernadette Peters when I was little, like her and her curly hair. I was just like, this moment's amazing. So watching the, you know, Broadway performances on whatever CBS or whatever, you know, was playing at that time. And then getting to go to New York and see, you know, in junior high and high school Broadway, I actually wanted to be a Broadway performer when I was little. So, you know, my parents had me in like, in vocal lessons and ballet classes. And then when I was in probably junior high or early high school, I started doing like community theater. And, and so that really was like kind of the outlet for me. And then somewhere right before I graduated high school, I, you know, you're looking at colleges and it's like, all right, I'm going to go to NYU. I'm going to major in theater. I'm going to be on Broadway. And then I just had the self-awareness to know <laughs> I'm not that good. Like, I'm okay. You know, like I can hold my own in community theater, but there was just the part of it that's like, you know, just let's right size this a little bit. I'm never going to be a leading lady. I'm five foot two. Dancing is not my strong suit. I'm probably not going to get in chorus. And the likelihood of me, you know, landing any of these roles that I would ideally like, even like the fun, you know, best friend comedic, you know, kind of roles. I was like, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of work. So I was like, all right, I, w- I you know, majored in communications. And I remember sitting in COM 100 and psychology to COM and public speaking. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And that's where I started being able to hone more of the, the craft of communication. All of this is, by the way, like the, the, the foundation for, I think, coaching. Because it's not just one-on-one that I do, but I facilitate right corporate workshops and retreats and webinars and public speak, you know, I taught public speaking at Pepperdine for a number of years. And so it's, you know, it's, this has all been useful as I've transitioned into the world of professional coaching, 
I don't think it's necessary. I think there are a lot of coaches who aren't also public speakers or workshop, you know, facilitators, but it's, it's all been part of what sure. I've been able to use as tools because there's different types of coaching too. So corporate coaching looks different than one-on-one. One-on-one looks different than like my women's entrepreneur group that I lead. So I think it's also, there's a nuance to knowing, okay, what, where do I go to my toolkit and what tools are necessary for this sort of context and this sort of relationship? And I think that's, that's a lot of the just like emotional intelligence piece that goes into it. But then also just my own um, growth as a coach and the professional training, like through influences like Steve Chandler, my coach, Amber Chris, Carolyn Freyer Jones, who runs a, a coaching school down in the Culver City area. These people who are really heart-centered professional coaches who care much more about quality than quantity. It's much more about the transformation of a relationship versus, uh, let's say, 20,000 followers on Instagram mm-hmm. or something like that. So there's been layering of hard skills, soft skills, natural skills, past experiences that have all kind of led me to this place where you know, coaching and receiving referrals is really how my business thrives. Yeah. And that it's invitation and referrals. So it's not, it's not like I'm just sitting back, right? So it's not like, Hey, you said you got this Mm -hmm. issue. Do you want to talk about that? Wow. Would it serve to work on that for six months, 12 months? Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's uh, maybe take a step back then to, so you, you graduate from where? Biola University down in Orange County. Okay. So you, so Viola, right? Biola with a B. Biola. B. Okay. Biola University in communications. And you, is it, you step right into the corporate world? Is that, yeah. so you go right into to a big corporate world? Right into corporate world and a master's program. So I had it all lined up. I graduated college a semester early. And I was all ready to go for this cohort for organizational leadership masters through Golden Gate. And uh, I went right into being uh, a lower, a lo- like a director level position uh, at uh, a company that did live events. And so I did production, you know, design, I did leadership with that. I, you know, so that really was like where a lot of the teaming aspect, like the leadership over teams and organizational psychology that I was learning in the classroom and, and through my education there was also being um, activated in my corporate job at that time. Did the corporate, was it sort of corporate sponsored degree or was this, you just sort of did this like night school on your own? I mean, I did, I did the education on my own. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was separate from the work that I did, but it was very helpful to be applying, right. The things that I was learning. It, I mean, I got time off and things like that, you know, to, to do the schooling, but then the, the production. So we did at Mosaic did everything from, church events, conferences, art shows, um, fashion shows. I mean, they just, they did crazy productions and live events and original screenplays and stage plays. And, and so it was like a real, it was just like a really, it was all about creative events. And so I got to utilize like the hard, again, the hard tools of, okay, organizational leadership, how does this work? And then be able to apply it to these events and the teams and the staff that we were working with at the same time. Now, so right now your plan is I'm going to work a corporate job. I'm going to climb a corporate ladder. I'm going to get a specific degree. What What's the sort of plan in your head here at this point? You're a young graduate. You have, a, I'm sure, a plan. What's What's the sort of self-thinking here? Well, the plan, the plan, <laughs> I didn't really have a plan. 
I think I kind of beat myself up for not having a plan, but I felt like what I was doing was, was good. But I think there was this workaholism of like, do, do, do. So it was like, I was working and I was in school. I was in a relationship at that time with the person who now would be my, my first husband. And so I was actually met Jason while I was my ex-husband in grad school. And that took a lot of my focus and energy outside of work and class and sometimes in class as well, (laughs) if I'm honest. And so I I was really like, okay, I'm going to get married and I'm going to continue working this job and maybe I'll get some more degrees. Like I was the first person in my family to get a master's degree. So that was significant to me. And I started looking at like PhD programs, like, okay, organizational leadership, you know, PhD programs. I didn't quite know what I was going to do with that. I wanted to publish a book. I wanted to do more speaking. I wanted to do a lot more of that. And I think that, you know, early in my twenties, there was just a lot of, a lot of raw ambition, let's say. (laughs) So it wasn't super laser focused. And then in 2006, I got certified through the Gallup organization to be a coach. And it was specifically for their assessment called the StrengthsFinder assessment. And that was really the first opening to me. This is while I was in my master's program. I think it was a, an auxiliary program that, that we did at the time, if I'm remembering correctly. And that was like a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing where the communication piece, the organizational development piece, and my love of just going deep with people like really converged. So I knew how to coach at that point. I, you know, the, the questions to ask and, and how you can go deep with someone in a conversation in a coaching container, but I had no idea how to build a business. So that piece, and there are a lot of coaching programs out there today. Mm-hmm. They'll teach you how to be a coach, but they don't teach you how to build a thriving multiple six figure business through quality relationships, you know? And I didn't know that at the time, right? I can look back and see that. So I side hustled as a coach while I was at Mosaic doing the live production stuff, I had finished my graduate degree. Jason and I got married, I think a year after that. And then I got the job at Pepperdine. So I was a director in student affairs. I was organizing convocation and all of their co-curricular live events where they were outside of the classroom, but people, you know, students got credit for them, academic credit. It was a huge job when I look back at it. So I was doing that and teaching public speaking at Pepperdine. So that was really my main thing was married to Jason. And then, um, I was coaching on the side, but I never really gave the coaching my full attention. And I was, you know, I was happy. I was really happy at Pepperdine at that time. I was learning a lot of really incredible skills, like being on a team, being in leadership, being, you know, someone that walking around campus, everyone in undergrad knew because I was heading up programs everyone had to be a part of to some degree. So there was a lot of really rich learning there. Where did this sort of, um, I mean, that's a lot. You have a, a relationship that consumes, uh, you know, all your hours after, after work, you've got coaching side hustle on the side, which you, you don't really need to do. You've got a really good job at Pepperdine. Where does the sort of workaholism come from? Is that sort of just, do you think that's some from some past or is that just sort of self-inflicted? Where, where did, where does that come from? I, I appreciate the question. And it, it really, it came from my family of origin. Like it came from being, you know, in middle school and my dad saying an A is good, but an A plus mm. is better. And now knowing that my dad said it with a lot of love and he came from a very, 
very messed up family background. And for him, it was like, he wanted to see me succeed on my own. And there at the same time was this push of, right. An A is good. An A plus is better. So it's like, okay, even an A is not like being the best is still not the best. So this elusive race to the finish line that doesn't actually exist. Right. I was putting so much pressure on myself and I actually, I missed this part. Like during college, I was working two jobs. I was, you know, trying to graduate early. I was in, you know, honors programs. And, um, I mean, I still graduated magna cum laude and I was early, you know, it was like, that still wasn't enough. Right. And so I actually had like gastritis. I had ulcers. I had all of these stomach issues at that time. So I was actually hospitalized for a little bit because, and on pretty heavy medication because my stomach was, was letting, my body was letting me know, like, you're not taking very good care of us. And that's where I started to learn the connection between uh, our body intelligence and our emotional and mental well-being that our body is always telling us. That's been something that's really been honed in now at this stage in my life, for sure. So that was another like rich learning too. Not a fun experience, but another piece, right? Another layer, another piece of the puzzle that was actually really supporting me under all this. But yeah, the the race, which I love, right? Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game, perfectly articulates like that pressure and that urgency that I felt to just go, go bigger, do more. I had applied for a PhD program at Azusa Pacific while I was at Pepperdine and I had gotten accepted in the midst of all of this, right? Running the programs and teaching and all of this. And my marriage was, was suffering with Jason at that time. And the truth of the matter was, I did not want to be in that marriage. And I was trying to make it work because that's what good people do. And, you know, my parents, as I was raised, they were both very devout Christians, Baptists, Southern Baptist Christians. And even though that was not my path, uh, you know, the, 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 the stories around like divorce is the worst thing you can do, right? So you have that and then A is good, but A plus is better. And it was just this... Uh, overwhelming sense of like shame and guilt and like, what does it mean if I don't want to be in this and uh, this is what good people do. And, and so it was, that was a really painful part of life. Like that was a really painful, I would say like dark time, even though on the outside, everything looked like, oh my gosh, the PhD program and this, and you're teaching and you know, there's all of these great things that were happening, but the insides were not matching the outsides. Was it, was there like a point where we're just like, I need to get out of this marriage. I need to slow down. Like, what, was there some sort of breaking point that happened during that time? Yeah. I mean, I, I it wasn't like any big uh, one-time event necessarily. I think it was a lot of series of events and conversations. And so I just started taking care of myself. So I was, I was in therapy. I moved out of the place I was living with Jason. I, I lived with with some friends. I filed for divorce shortly thereafter. I, I, I actually let go of the teaching piece. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on my director job. I turned down the PhD program or deferred, I can't remember. And I was like, I'm just going to take some space to just be. Now at this time, I was like 27 or something. <laughs> like this is just... The first time in your life, you, you actually take a, take, a, take a breather at 27 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, 
what I was handling at that time. It's just like, oh my gosh, like my, my heart just goes out to that person. And you know what? Now I coach people, right? Who are in a very, who are experiencing similar things. And I'm able to tap into that place of just compassion of just like, oh my gosh, you know, and giving permission, like what might it look like to take a break? You know, so there were just like team Sarah, like there were people in my life at that time. I think that's when I really started to understand the importance of creating my own, my own team for my life. That's when I started really like thinking about radical self-care. And so there were different people that I would go to for different pieces of my life that really helped support me in that, in that area. And so, yeah, I, I pretty much laid low. I laid low and I was, you know, still working at Pepperdine, but I was just like doing that. And then I was investing in my friendships and my mental health and resting. And that was really, you know, for me, a place where I got a lot of, a lot of healing, like it's, and permission to slow down and to start changing the narrative. How did you specifically start taking care of yourself? Did you, was there specific routines or things that you, that you did, or was it just, just rest? Well, it, I mean, it was, it was a variety of things. I mean, there definitely were routines because I find that routines or rituals can really be helpful. So it's like, great. These are the days I do yoga. This is, these are the days I go to therapy and do my cognitive behavioral therapy with my, my person. These are the days I spend time by myself or the nights I spend time by myself, journaling, making myself a nice meal, taking a bath, like things that were really nurturing. Because up until that point, I had not been very kind to myself, but I, sure. I wasn't aware of it. So again, like all of this is just, it was building, right? The foundation um, for me, for, for the next season of life. So yeah, so there were, it was a combination of, of kind of rituals, habits and scheduling, but then also just the space to say no. So I actually, that, now that I'm saying it out loud, that was like really a season where I learned how to say no gracefully. Like, or not now, like, no, I'm not going to go to that event. No, I'm not going to be a part of that program. No, I'm not going to, you know, invest in this thing. So it was a time of just like the A, you know, the A to an A plus, right? It was like, okay, that's, that's okay. A B or a C, I'm going to be okay with that in this season. Sure. Yeah. So let's maybe step back a little bit to you're raised by Southern Baptist Christian. You have this, this sort of history of marriage is so important. Divorce is just the worst thing ever. How, what was your marriage a bad marriage or were you just sort of unhappy in it and just got married too young? What can you, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a combination of things. It was a bad marriage. I mean, there were people who we asked to be in our wedding party and on his side and on my side who said, I just need you to know I'm really having a hard time with this invitation because Mm. I don't think you should be getting married. So there were even people, right? Like these yellow and red flags that are like, because it was one of those relationships that it was like very intense and dramatic. And it was like, we broke up and then we're back together. And then I went to Malaysia and taught for a few months and he was lovesick and he came, you know, I came back and he proposed and it was just like, you know, very heightened, um, which I think the me, the version of me at that time was probably okay with that. Probably right. really, really liked that. And so, yeah, so there were people who kind of were not supportive of it. And we, you know, I, I didn't listen at least, or maybe even if there was an intuitive kind of thought there, 
of like, oh, they're kind of right. I don't know if this is the, the right one. But there were a lot of assumptions at that time too of, you know, a lot of my other friends had been married at that point. Oh gosh, is this the only person who will like ever accept me and love me? I mean, there were a lot of misbeliefs, I think, or misunderstandings that I had about myself. A, a lot of them around worthiness, right? A lot of the stuff that started around childhood of like, you got to perform in order to be loved and accepted. And so I think there was kind of, my, my dad is kind of a, an mm. internal optimist too. Positivity is like his number one strength. And so he's always kind of had this perspective and he'll say like, well, everything will always work out. It'll always work out. So I think there was also this, again, misunderstanding of, oh, well, it's not great now, but we'll work it out. Like it's going to be fine. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So he taught you, besides sort of uh, teaching you to sort of have have a, a ambition, he taught you sort of perpetual optimism, which you maybe didn't, you didn't receive that lesson the same way he, he believes it or feels it. It's interesting. I've always thought about the sort of importance of teaching your kids optimism, but there maybe is a, <laughs> maybe there's a lesson here that, that, that actually you could, you could kind of go too far with. Sure. With yeah. optimism, maybe. Cause not everything isn't always just going to work itself out. You have to actually maybe do, do the hard work to work itself out. And that kind of goes back to the owner victim mm. uh, mentality, because I think that positivity for the sake of positivity, just saying like, oh, everything will work out is really empty. And I think something much more meaningful is the ownership mentality of like, okay, given the circumstances, what do I want to create? Given what's happening at this time, what do I want to do? That's very different. So let's go back to the divorce a little bit. So if you don't mind, so sure. what's the self-talk in your head? So how does it, you have all this sort of the history that we, we talked about and the voices in your head. How does that whole process work where you actually go through with the with the divorce and say, you know, I've, I just need to get out of this marriage. I need to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I need to, I need a break. I need to, I need to move out. So was it a gradual thing? You, mo you moved out and sort of separated from a bit? Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was so debilitatingly codependent. Mm. I was, I, and again, I was like 24, you know, it's like, I was so uh, attached to what people thought I was because a lot of people in our friendship circle and in our community at that time were like, Oh, you and Jason are rock stars. You and Jason are like the, the platinum couple. You and Jason, cause we did a lot of speaking and facilitation and, and we were both uh, fairly enthusiastic, you know, gregarious people. And so I think there was, there was also that mentality of like, Oh, we got to keep it together. Mm -hmm. You know, like we got to, yeah. we got to maintain the, yeah, yeah. I think there was a lot, which again, a lot of that stuff came from my family too, mm -hmm. of origin. It's like, doesn't matter what's going on. You just gotta, you gotta save face. You gotta show up and be positive. Right. And so it was gradual. It was gradual. It was, it was also me like kind of starting to remove myself from some of the people that their advice or their insights weren't helpful. It was some, it was like really my transition. I think my cocooning period into taking ownership of my life. I also enrolled in a 12-step program called CODA, Codependence Anonymous. And it's very much along the lines of like an Al-Anon. So for people who might be married or in relationship with alcoholics, codependent, uh, Codependence Anonymous is about how you basically don't take responsibility for your life, right? Allowing other people to let you know who you are, right? Ascribing to personality traits that other people assume of you, 
being unable to make decisions on your own, ne- always needing kind of affirmation or acknowledgement that what you're doing is okay. So really it was like the unlearning. I was in that program for five or six years. Like I was in the program for a while. And so that was a part of the healing too, in the separation. There was therapy, there was 12 step, there was starting to distance from people who weren't helpful for me, starting to bring in people who really saw me for who I was at that time and bringing in mentorship for people who really saw me for who I was at that time. And that all started to shift, you know, over the course of, of a couple of years to really give me like the, the transformation that I needed in that time to really be like, okay, I'm this, I'm the CEO of my life. Like I get to choose, I get to choose how I spend my time, how I spend my money. Like it's, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's up to me. So that was a really pivotal time. Really pivotal time. Is that when you, when did you meet your current husband, Zach? Is that the, around that time? So I, I, I got divorced. I guess this would have been, oh, well, the, the timeline doesn't matter. So I got divorced and there was like the, the years where I was, you know, really just focusing on myself. I took a break from dating. Like I was really just in it for myself at that point. And then I met Zach through mutual friends, like as I established new community and new friendship that really allowed me to see myself accurately and that were emotionally healthy people and leading lives of intentionality and joy. As I started to immerse myself in those circles with those people, that's where I met Zach, my my husband, and we were just friends for a year. So this was a few years after I was divorced. Um, We were just friends for a year and I was kind of dating someone else at the time. He was dating someone else at the time. And then a year later, we found ourselves at a friend's birthday party and we sat across the table from each other and I was single and he was single. And we both just kind of looked at each other and we were like, oh, <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> and it was, that was, that was really the, the shift, um, at least in terms of romantic relationship. Yeah. And at that time you're, you're still at Pepperdine or? I was still at Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still at Pepperdine. And uh, let's see, Zach and I started dating and probably, and I, I, was re- I was really clear with him at the beginning. I was like, listen, and he knew I had been divorced because I had kind of shared some of that. And I was like, I don't think I ever want to be married again, but I do know that I want lifelong monogamous partnership. So, and I do want kids or a kid at some point, just so you know where I'm at. And he was like, great. I mean, I've always wanted to be married and I've always wanted to be a dad, but if marriage is not something you want, but you want that partnership, like that committed partnership. He's like, okay, (laughs) let's see how it goes. And if at any point we had an agreement, like if at any point either one of us didn't feel like it was working or we wanted different things that we would talk about it. And if we needed to walk away, we would, but that what was right for us as an individual was, was more important. And so it was, I don't know, a year and a half into dating or something. And he had come up to Lake Tahoe with me and, and, we, my family was doing a, a vacation up there. We've been doing vacations up there ever since I was little every summer, except for this summer. <laughs> and thank you, COVID. Thank you. And we, Zach and I were driving back and I just looked at him in the middle of, I don't know, the middle of nowhere. And I was like, I want to be married to you. <laughs> and he was like, okay, give me some time to, give me some time to figure out a you know proposal. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That wasn't the proposal. <laughs> right, right, right. And so, yeah. And so we, I think we had just moved in together. So we were living together at the time. And, and once he proposed, um, 
I, I quit my job at Pepperdine and I took about 10 months to a year to do more coaching and to, to really kind of set myself in a place of just rest. I think after just the Pepperdine train, making that commute from North Hollywood to Malibu five days a week and running the programs. And it was just a very high, high leadership, very demanding kind of position. So it was nice to have the partnership, right. And, and a really solid home life that I could use that time to really nurture myself and plan our wedding and just enjoy life. Um, yeah. So you, you made the decision to leave Pepperdine and just take a full 10 months off. You retired for 10 months, yeah. essentially to plan your wedding and to just really enjoy this relationship at this time. As a workaholic go-getter, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, you know, I, and I'm sure Zach was involved in that decision. So, like, how, how did that talk, how did that talk go? How, yeah, how did that happen? Um, so I think he he saw the wear and tear of like the daily commute. He saw the there were things that were shifting, you know, in administration at Pepperdine at the time. And I won't go into all the details of that, but you know, I was making the same salary five years later, and the demand was higher, and the commute was getting to me, and he just saw he was like, "You're you're unhappy." And it's really okay. And so we had a conversation where he was like, listen, let's talk about finances, right? Here's, here's where we are. Here's where I'm contributing. I didn't need to contribute at that time. Like I would have been fine. So I had freedom there, you know, gracefully with savings and all of and his support really. And, and I used that time also to, to do more coaching though. I was still going at it solo. So I was still kind of like, I know how to coach, but I didn't know enrollment. I didn't know the business end. I, I was really, which I think, again, a lot of coaches are struggling in that. And so I was still doing it alone. I didn't have a coach of my own at that point, but it was fine because there wasn't a, a demand, right? I didn't have to make, you know, a certain salary in order for us to pay our rent at that point, you know? So that I, I was now, what was interesting is that I really had like an identity crisis. And I really had to ask myself the question, which I think was like the next level from being a part of CODA of like, okay, let's rid myself of what other people's expectations are. Let's bring myself to who I want to be. And then it was the question of, oh my gosh, I've been working for other people for 10 years, however long it was at that point. Like who, am, who is Sarah without a name behind her? Because I liked the fact that if I was at a cocktail party or happy hour with people, you're like, Sarah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a director at Pepperdine and I teach public speaking. And there's kind of like this sparkle, right? People think that's interesting. And Pepperdine's, right, a private university in Malibu. Like there's a lot of esteem around it. And so that year was really like an undoing of who am I without anything like prestigious to like kind of lasso and to kind of be connected to. And I'm grateful for it because I think it was really a time where I got to, again, just go deeper into like valuing my own voice, my own experiences and knowing that like I'm enough period. It's never about the outside things. And it just, it, it took me to a deeper level mm -hmm. just personally in relationship with myself. It was really healing. It was really healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is this, is this around the time of your friend Jen's murder? We can get to that, or is this mm -mm. this is much later that 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 occurred. This this was like this was seven years ago or something. I mean, this was a long time ago. So, so I, you went back into corporate work then after I did. 
So we got married. We trekked around Europe for a month. We had a great time. And then when we came back, I was like, you know, I think I really care a lot about people with mental health because I too had had anxiety and depression in those years and gotten, you know, on medication and gotten certain help for that. And what I experienced was such grace in that process, especially again, coming from a childhood where it was like that never would have been something that was encouraged. And then for me to experience something, again, the opposite of the conditioning from childhood and to find so much grace and healing in it, it was like, that's amazing. I think I want to work in mental health. So I started looking at what opportunities were there. I was like, oh gosh, am I going to have to become a a therapist? That's like a lot of work and a lot more schooling. And then I discovered that, oh, I could work on the, the business side, the administrative side. And so for three, three and a half years, I worked as uh, the national director of business development for a treatment facility that had a bunch, a treatment company that had a bunch of different facilities throughout California and Nevada. And so that was great. Again, it was like the leadership piece was there. The communication piece was there. I loved my team. I really believed in what I was doing. We saw transformation happen, you know, consistently. And that's where I met my friend, Jen. So she was a clinical um, psychologist at another center. And I was on the admin of another side and I would see her public speaking. I would see her research and her talks at conferences. And I was like, this woman is badass. Like I like her. Hmm. And so we built a friendship. We built a friendship and we just, it was, she was kind of like the work wife, but we only saw each other at like conferences and events. She lived in Northern California. So it was like, great. I'll see you in Seattle at this such and such conference. Great. I'll see you in New York at this conference. And so, you know, every, every month or two, we were having our time together and really building. And so she actually, there, there, was a, there were a lot of different pieces. Um, she was unhappy with where she was working. She was looking for new work. And so I was helping her with that. I was helping her with interviewing and how she could present herself. She also started to do more public speaking on her own. So I was helping her build out her platform for that and her contact list and helping her really refine her message. And, you know, she, she had an eight-year-old daughter. Um, and so we connected on that because my daughter, Highland, even though she was much younger, we had that mom connection, mom of daughter connection. And she was married to a high school sweetheart, Mark, mm-hmm. which I thought was the coolest thing. And they, you know, I really like Mark too. So when she was in town, we'd go to Disneyland together when she came down to Southern California and stuff. So her and I really built this strong connection. And you know, this really leads to my moment of transformation because again, through all of this, I was, I had this growing kind of sense of there's gotta be more. I was already feeling pretty healed and pretty whole, like in my life as a person, my husband and I had like a pretty long fertility journey. So like there was a lot of questioning in that, like really a question of like how, right. You have to be intentional in that sort of situation. And, and so we just really got really clear on like, okay, who are we and what are we trying to do here? So the fertility journey was a part of that. I was starting to grow really kind of restless in my job. There was a lot of travel. Like I was probably gone three days a week consistently. And that was fine before Highland or my daughter and my husband was working at that time too. So there was just a growing unrest, I'll say like a, okay, I really want things to shift. So Jen, you know, bless her. She left her job and she went to work at a veteran center closer to home because she wanted to be closer to her daughter because her daughter was like, mom, you're not home a lot. 
And she was, I think she was commuting like an hour and a half one way to the center that she was working at before. So she was like, I got this new job. It's at a veteran center. It's close to home. I can see my daughter McKenna more often. You know, she's like, it's not my dream gig, but you know what? I'm going to keep building and I'm just going to, I'm just going to show up for my kid. I'm going to show up for this. So I had had my daughter Highland. Jen flew to LA to actually record a podcast with one of my friends, Paul. And she was talking about, this was the last interview that she actually ever did. Um, when she flew to LA to do this. So she, she flew to LA, you know, we took her to wherever in and out, wherever she wanted Hmm. to go. And she got to meet my daughter because Highland was, I think like four months at that time, really, really young. I was still on maternity leave. So I was just like, life is great. Hmm. (laughs) And she recorded and, you know, I, I hugged her, you know, on Paul's porch and we said, you know, we loved each other. And I didn't know, of course, that that was the last time we were going to see each other. Two weeks later, I'm up you know, pumping in the middle of the night, pumping milk for my daughter. It's like 2 a.m. And I'm scrolling through Facebook and there's just like picture after picture of Jen and like these comments, like, I can't believe it's, I can't believe you're gone. This is, this can't be true that, you know, I'm going to miss you so much. And it was like that moment, you know, when you're in a movie and I just like held my breath and I was just like, how could this be? Like, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. And when it really sank in, I was like, oh my gosh. And people had, had kind of, uh, put links to what had happened, which was it was a hostage shooting at the Veterans Center in Yachtville. And there was uh, a client, uh, a veteran who was there getting treated with Jen and a couple of others. And they let him go. They released him from the program because he was being, I guess, aggressive to other um, people there at the center. And he came back a, a week later or however long with, you know, tons of guns and ammunition and basically called out her name, Jen Golick, and then these other two women. He took them hostage. He killed them. He killed himself. There was like a shootout with the cops. Um, her husband knew this whole time, you know, it was like a, it was like a whole day mm. of them trying to contact him. It was just really, you know, it was a moment where the tragedy of the loss and the tragedy of how it happened is like almost impossible you know, to wrap your head around. And at the same time, I I felt like this intense sadness for the life that I knew that Jen hadn't lived. So the trips to Hawaii that they didn't take and the trips to Disney World that they didn't take and the business that I was helping her start that she didn't launch. And, you know, the fact that she had moved jobs to be closer to her daughter, you know, and that's what ended up, you know, contributing to the loss of her life at 42 years old. And so this, like the sadness of like the, my heart just broke over the life that she didn't get to live. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, it was like, that was, that was the transformational moment for me where I was like, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world at this time. Like if, if I died today, would I be okay with what my life looked like? And the answer was no it felt like a sacrifice to go to work each day to leave my daughter. It felt like a sacrifice to, you know, be under someone else's direction, let's say. I mean, there were just certain things that for Zach and I both that we were like, okay, this, this isn't working. Let's figure out something new. So when you asked yourself that question, if it was my last day, would I be okay with that? And you said, no, besides sort of work being a sacrifice and all the travel was there were there other things that were sort of out of of balance for you that that was sort of screaming at you in terms of your bucket list or all these other things and what were those 
Yeah. I mean, that, that question really, like I sat with it for like a week and I was like, okay, what are all of my objections about the life that I actually want to live? You know, like living in France for a month out of the year and, you know, traveling more and, you know, all of the, like, I was really in the job because I made a lot of money. I was like, well, I can't leave. Mm. I've got great insurance. (laughs) I'm making great money. I can't do that somewhere else. I certainly couldn't do it for myself. That was the belief at that time. And it was like, Jen's death just clarified everything for me, where it was like fear just went away, like in a snap. And it was like, I was just so clear. I was like, oh, we'll figure it out. But right now, like Zach was really unhappy with his job. And he was also doing it for a paycheck as well. Um, so after after Jen died, like both of us just felt this discontentment, right? And um, and we both started to get clear. And I was holding Highlands, and um, I don't know, she was nursing or something. And Zach came into the the nursery, and he was like, "I hate my job. I don't think I want to go back." And I was like, "I've been waiting to hear you say this for seven <laughs> years." I was like, "Okay." So he quit his job stayed home full, fully with Highland while I went back to work, right? Jen died. And then I was like, well, I'm going to leave my job too. <laughs> and so he was like, okay. Like, it, you know, I look back and I just think like, wow, that was, it was such a clear choice. I don't think it's a choice that a lot of people would make, but we just really looked at, okay, what are all of our resources? What is it that we've created up to now that we can, that we can use to now support us? And it really shifted the way that we thought about our money and our time and the things we said yes and no to. It was like having a kid, I think, clarify if you're any sort of mindful, intentional person, right? It clarifies your values right away. And then having this this death, right? So, so soon after, it was like, I guess it was a moment of enlightenment, to be totally honest. like Almost like facing your death, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Like what's on my bucket list? What is it that we need? And not even such from like a heightened place of like, F yeah, we're going to do it. You know, like not from this place of like of rigor, but really from a place of like, okay, how can we make each day matter? How can we add sweetness to how we look at each other and what we talk about over dinner and how we let go of the little nitpicky things that really ultimately don't matter? you know, we ebb and flow in and out of that because we're human and we get irritated with each other. Right. But I will say that I feel that that was such a defining moment, even in our relationship, in my parenthood, in how I view, right. The world, how, again, how I view finances in the past, I would have looked at my finances and said, we only have X in the bank. We only have X in investments or whatever the case might be. And now I look at it, I'm like, what can we do with that? Mm. What do we want to do with that? How do we want to use that to do more of what we want? So really, truly, it was, it, that was like a, a switch. That was a switch for me. So, yeah. okay. So this is, this is crazy. So, so Zach leaves his job, stay at home full time. Mm-hmm. Your friend, Jen, has this horrible tragedy that makes you sort of reexamine your own, your own life, your own bucket list. You have a, a full dependent on you. And you decide to leave your job and start your coaching career at this time. Mm-hmm. Probably what, if you look from the outside, the worst time to start a business mm-hmm. ever. But yet it propelled you to create the life that you actually really wanted to create. 
Mm-hmm. So let's go through the sort of the practical side a little bit, the story of like how how you then yeah. start to create this life, how you create rules around around what's important to you, what you really value, how you create a schedule around, you know, the the amount of time you want to spend with your daughter and your husband versus the amount of time you want to be working and spending with clients. How does this all sort of maybe can you talk about how let's maybe specifically how do you how do you decide the type of schedule you want? Meaning, how do you decide how many days you're okay? Where you're starting this business from scratch, so how do you just you decide right away that hey, I only want to work three three days a week, and I want to spend the rest of the time with my daughter, or do you say hey, I'm going to spend, I'm going to launch this thing. It's going to take me two years. I'm going to spend every waking second doing that, and then I'll come back. Like how how does that sort of sort of planning go for you? Yeah, well, I think it's important to share that at this. At the point when I decided, like I'm, I'm all in on me for the first time. Uh, I called or emailed my my now coach Amber, and I had worked with her here and there over the last like the three years prior. I had done workshops she had put on. I had been really radically served in some coaching conversations that she had gifted to me, and I have to say that sitting with her turned everything that I thought about coaching on its head, the negative things, let's Mm. say. Like I was like, I was so transformed with the conversation with her three years prior where she had encouraged me not to work for free, like in terms of coaching, because coaching was a side thing, right? I was a coach for 12 years on the side before this moment where I decided to go all in on me. And I wasn't making a whole lot of money on it. And I didn't know how to scale it. I didn't know how to make it the full-time thing. But I had seen Amber do that. And I knew the kind of money she made and I knew the kind of ease and grace she had in her life. And I was like, yeah, I want that, you know, because up to then, right. It was a is good. A plus is better. The hustle, hustle, hustle. And even the, the societal cultural idea of coaching now, right. It's all about quantity and quantity and pushing and selling. And that never felt good to me. And I was like, Oh my, I kept going back to that moment, sitting with her in her, in her office and weeping and, looking at my vision for my life on the whiteboard behind her. And I was like, I want to create moments like that for people. And I felt like, again, in such a place of, of clarity in myself where I was like, yeah, that that's it. So I emailed Amber. I was like, Hey, I, I'm a mom. My friend just was murdered. Like I'm all in on myself. I need to talk to you because I'm going pro with this. And so she really was my guide and my partner in deconstructing, okay, what are your, what are the ideas here that don't serve? What is it that you really want? How do you want to feel in your everyday life? So her first questions weren't, okay, how do we build this for you? Which is what I think a lot of people might go to. Her questions were like, what kind of a life do you want to experience? And for me, ease, joy, and peace were the things that kept coming up. Great. What's in the way of that right now? So it was, it, it was clarifying for me, how do I want to feel first and then creating a schedule that served that vision? So, uh, you know, uh, and I reassess, I reassess all the time, but it was like opting in with Amber, you know, three years ago, that was the the switch that moved me from neediness. I need clients to referral based almost exclusively. Um, and uh, that's like oversimplifying sure. it, right? 
So that, I mean, that really investing in myself, right. And my husband and I had conversations about, you know, startup capital. And so, you know, I, I paid for my coaching through that and that's really what helped give me a cushion so that I could immerse myself into full-time professional coaching. And, uh, what I, what I'll share with you is like every quarter is different. So like my husband and I, I see my, my family as my number one business. So my husband and I have finance meetings. My husband and I have certain times where we talk about certain things that, especially things that might be triggering for us or that we might get short-tempered about. It's like, let's create space for that so that we can really treat that with the honor that it deserves, which is our full attention, not while we're frying an egg and making smoothies in the morning with our daughter, you know, jumping on the couch. So yeah, so that right now in this particular space, like today, I, I have client sessions three days a week. The other two days I'm with my daughter and then the weekends are family time. Um, I typically do like admin or email like while she naps or early in the morning. And um, that, you know, the rhythm that we find, there's some quarters when I work five days a week. There are some like I take most of December off every year because I love the holidays and that's my time. And when clients enroll with me around that time, we have a conversation about that. So it's really looking at it from a a lens of what do I want? What serves in this capacity? What like, what, what do I want to do? Yeah. And then I built from there and make myself available or not through that. I think it's it's just such a powerful way to, to build your life. How do I want to feel? And answering that first, as opposed to how am I going to build this, this thing that I eventually I'm going to build. Yeah, it's such a different, um, a different way to sort of look at it. Does your husband uh, work now, or is he is he stay at home? No, he works now. Yeah. So the the first six months uh, where I was pro, um, he he was with Highland, our daughter, and I worked, and then he got a job remote, so he was still home. But he he just felt like okay, like I, I'm ready for something else, right, outside of fatherhood that that kind of gives me an, an outlet, mm-hmm. and so he, you know, both of us, you know, he worked remote. I was doing my coaching. My sister came in and was the nanny for us at that time. Yeah. So we, we just, we build together, right. The life and the relationship that we want to have. And some seasons he's busier. So I pull back more other seasons. He's less busy. So he pulls back and I go full force. So it's this interplay of always communicating and sharing like what's our vision And how do we want to create that? How do we want that to come to fruition? That's great. I'm going to start, I'm going to ask you just some, these are more uh, kind of not rapid fire question, but but they're a little bit, I think more, they're, they're a lot less deep than maybe than, than how we've sort of taken this journey so far. So, and we'll just sort of see, see where it goes. It doesn't have to be sort of um, uh, quick answers, but however, how long you want to take with them. What, what do you think are the key ingredients of living a full life, one with intention and, and consciously and deliberately? What are sort of, I mean, you, you, you named the sort of three principles at the beginning mm-hmm. of our conversation, but in terms of, like, I mean, almost more practically, like you have an important relationship with your husband, you have your daughter, you have this business where, where you do something that's, that's sort of, you know, you have a passion for. And, and so, I mean, like sort of tactically purpose meaning relationships what what do you think for you in particular is something that gives you sort of meaning in your life and and creates an abundant life for you for sarah um what create i think really presentness 
like being fully present in whatever it is I'm doing. Like Tracy, Tracy Ellis Ross, who I love uh, in an interview said she considers meditation to be fully present, like fully doing what she's doing when she's doing it. And so for me, I'm not great at it all the time, but, but being fully present to when I'm making my salad for lunch, when I'm with my daughter in playtime, when I'm with a client, like here today, right on this podcast, giving myself fully to the, the beauty and all that's available in the present moment, that is going to be, I think my lifelong learning is how to continue to refine that and do that. But I think being fully present is one of the biggest keys for me, at least. I mean, secondarily would be uh, stillness and rest, which is, is, has been a learned practice for me. How do, you, how do you practice stillness and rest with a family, with uh, a thriving business, a daughter, a three-year-old daughter, um, and a husband, and all the other things that, that going on in your life? How, how do you practically, uh, on a day-to-day basis, practice rest? Do you take a bath? Do you do, you know, what kind of, sort of practical things you do from, from a rest perspective? It's a great question. So uh, part of it is I have agreements with my husband. Um, again, whether it's week by week or day by day, it's like, okay, I'm going to need 20, 30 minutes, right? For what I would call like my, I'm using air quotes, spiritual practice of like affirmations, journaling, free flow writing, gratitude lists, even just sitting in, in silence or I don't know, listening to Tibetan bells or something like that, you know, just something that something that brings me to, to myself, right? Something that I'm not going to my phone first thing in the morning and checking emails. I like to think about like the things that I do, not just the things that I don't do, but there are certain things that I am choosing not to engage in at this time. Like I don't look at emails until I'm ready to sit down and answer them. I am taking a sabbatical from Instagram right now. I, you know, there are certain, so there's A, the agreements around like time, that I actually take for myself, which even though it, it might be small and limited, it's still something. When I'm about to meet with clients, I have rituals around that. So I'll sit in a moment of, of just silence, bring myself to my breath and just be like, okay, I'm here as a tool and as a vessel to help this person in whatever way possible, right? To support them in, in the person that they want to be and in what they want to see occur in their life. So I'm just here for that. You know, something as simple as that so those are like some of the daily practices, but then there's also like content. So um, whether that's podcasts or books, like Pico Iyer's book, The Art of Stillness. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And reading some of you know some of the the mystics um, and really just learning, like okay, what's the wisdom from that? So it kind of gives me the the head knowledge and maybe some even ideas and inspiration for how I might want to continue to evolve my own practice of stillness, so to speak. But then there's also things like, uh, like this year I'm doing a five day meditation, silent meditation. It's not totally silent, but a five day meditation retreat. If we're on the other side of COVID at that time, um, it's at the end of November. So hopefully, but it's like for me to go and do something on my own, which again, that has to be an agreement. There has to be some planning around that. So it's like the micro level. And then there goes all the way up to, you know, what's one thing I want to do annually with something I want to do quarterly with something I want to do monthly and then maybe daily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it ebbs and flows, it changes, but how does that agreement go with your husband to take a five day silent meditation retreat? I'm just, that's totally a selfish question. <laughs> 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 I don't know how to ask that question. 
You know, I'm really grateful because sometimes the things I do, he thinks are crazy, but he's always open to listening and just hugely supportive. And so in the same way, he hasn't gone for like five day retreats, but he's done two and three day like conferences or those sorts of things. And he's gotten so much out of them uh, that, that I think we, I think we're a really good team in that way. So my question was like, Hey, I really want to do this. How can we create that? What do you need for that? He's like, well, I can't do that five days, 100% by myself. So let's call your mom. Let's call your sister. Let's see what we can do to start accommodating some additional help for that. So then we're talking about, you know, okay, does the nanny come and what are finances for that? And is she going to stay overnight or not? You know, so then we get to kind of configure what that is. So it's not just a, Hey, I'm doing this, but it's actually like a really, you know, okay, what is it that you need? How are we going to help this? Makes sense. That's a, um, some good practical wisdom there. Maybe I'll use some of that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been wanting to do a, a, a silent or mostly silent retreat for a long time. And I just sort of struggle with the, the thought of telling, you know, my wife and children that I need, you know, five days without them. And I, you know, part of what I know you talk about is sort of expectation versus, you know, and agreements. And sort of my expectation is going to be like, they're going to be a little hurt that I'm, I need to leave them for five days. They're going to look at it in a little bit of a different way. Whereas I'm just saying, this is just for my health. This is just because I, I think I'm going to like a rock star um, with this type of retreat. So, Well, and if I can add to that, Greg, you know, how I see it is our kids learn from us by, by watching what we do, not what we say. And so like, I want my daughter, like she knows like, oh, mommy has work time. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's an understanding there. And I want her to grow up to be like, you could be an entrepreneur if you want. You could have your own business if you want. Work is good and family is good and you can have both. Now, some of that comes from my own upbringing, right? Where I'm kind of rewriting some of the things I wish would have, you know, happened for me and really served me. And then it's also like, I want, I want my daughter to know like, that she can go away for a meditation retreat for five, like she can take care of herself, Mm -hmm. you know? So by example, I think it's really powerful and maybe not now, like I think timing is a big thing too. So, you know, pick and choose, maybe it's a year from now, right, Greg, or maybe six months from now or something where you're able to kind of talk about it. But I think framing it like, you know, it's really good to take care of yourself. And this is one of the things that I do. That's, that could be really powerful. Sure. Speaking of the, of yeah. that and sort of lessons to children, one of the things I sort of contemplate is how it's great that, you know, that our children can see us sort of working. We have sort of practice every day. We go to work and to see that we were also, you know, in, in the family where we're involved, we're, we're deeply involved with, with raising our kids and all these things. And I think it's part of having this sort of full life. But I wonder if there is a way to sort of bring our children into our work worlds a little bit better. I've thought about things like, and obviously this is, I've thinking of these things prior to COVID, but like having sort of networking events where maybe other people bring their kids together, we get a big bouncy house and the the parents can sort of network and work together and, and do some business development or whatever, you know, just, just expanding each other's networks and the kids play and then they see the, the parents with name tags and whatever, maybe there's some content. 
I know, I know some friends of mine over the years have brought their kids to trade shows and, and conferences. I've seen them speak and do things like that. Have you thought about that at all in terms of how you want Highland to see you maybe engage with clients or sort of know what it is that you do and how much passion you bring behind what you do and sort of teach those types of lessons? Have you thought about that at all? You know, I haven't thought about it like in, gr- in great detail, but I appreciate the question because now that you're sharing kind of a context around it. Yeah, I think I think that I would love for her to be a part of, you know, keynotes or workshops or be able to kind of see some of that. And, you know, one of the visions I have right now is Zach and I want to have a destination home where I can lead retreats, right? And there's a really beautiful space where, um, you know, clients can come and do intensives. I can do retreats there, you know, that kind of thing. And that Highland would be able to, to see that, you know, happening just even let's say it's a detached part of the house or one wing of the house or something, right? Where it would very much be like, uh, she could see the integration of, of life and service, I'll say, not just life and work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that that, I, I would never want her to feel that she needs to follow in my footsteps. I don't know that that's her personality. I mean, who knows who she's going to be, but at this point at three, you know, I, I don't know. I think she's a little more of a, of a follower at this point. Um, which is totally fine. So it's like, how can I help her be the best version of herself by showing an example of me being the best version of myself, but then also letting her know it's okay if that looks different for her. What's most What's most important to her? Because I think our kids want to be like us. Mm-hmm. But it may not be their path. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm very aware of like being very uh, upfront with her even at this age. Like, what do you want to do? What sounds fun to you? You know, mm-hmm. do you want this or this? Either is fine. That sort of stuff. You've said that in an interview that your goal in life is to always feel light. What does that actually mean to you? Is was the question like, what does success mean for you? I I think so. Yes, I think I think uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, this is an older interview, so maybe you don't feel the, quite the same way as you did, you know, three or four years ago. You know, I I do to some degree. Like, I think it's been. I think the desire of like my soul, like who I am without any programming, I think like the actual raw spirit of myself craves peace and joy and gentility. Mm. And there was a lot of conditioning and misunderstandings that I had bought into, right? And so I think just the the feeling that I feel now in my life, like I have never felt more peace. I've never felt this much ease, this much joy, and it feels natural. Now, there are certain things I do to to preserve, you know, how I want to feel. And it doesn't mean that there's not upset and frustration and anger and all of the things that all of anxiety, right, that all of us feel from time to time. But I would say, like, for the most part, I, I, I don't feel the burden of life. Mm-hmm. And even big conversations, right? This Black Lives Matters uprising, which is long overdue. It's like, I get to look at that and just be like, okay, what do I want to do to help this? How can I be a, a, an agent of change in a way that makes sense, right, to me? And again, it's like the, the ownership mentality of like, I get to choose where my energy goes, my thought energy, my emotional energy, like I get to choose. Mm-hmm. 
And so that feeling of lightness is like, uh, and really it goes, Kyle Cease, who's one of my favorite transformational speakers and authors, he talks about like, if you have a, a choice, does it feel light or does it feel heavy? Does it feel heavy? Does it I feel think light? that's where it came from, actually. Yeah. So that, that idea of check, you know, checking in with myself, like even with something small, just be like, does this feel light? Does this feel heavy? And I want to be, I want to continue to be the person who chooses the thing that feels light because I've picked the thing that feels heavy. And that was really not in service (laughs) to me and to the life that I really wanted to live. Mutual connection um, said uh, that when you started your coaching business, you were really reluctant to take a personal day as you were building the business, but then you took it and it ended up being an amazing experience. Can you, can you just tell that story? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you tell that story? I don't, but I'll tell you that that's an ongoing thing for me. Like that's part of my growth edge. I mean, it it goes back to that workaholism Mm -hmm. of like, if I'm not showing up, then my business isn't growing. And so I, 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 you know, I fall into the, the hero's uh, syndrome too. Like, what happens if a client needs me and I'm not there to answer their email or their call or whatever it is? And I can get wrapped up in like the, the savior syndrome. You know, I can um, at, at the detriment of my own rest. And so that's, right, that's continues to be something that I get to learn and that I get to grow into. So part of that is, you know, again, taking so much time off in December uh, I'm take, I take a Sabbath every week where it's not religious or anything, but it's like, I don't check email that day. I'm not on social media that day. I take a nap. I don't do any work. And maybe like there's work air, again, air quotes, like I'm thinking about, Oh, what would be valuable to share in my next newsletter or something like that. But it's coming from a place of kind of organic generation versus like a taskmaster rigor kind of place. So I still, from time to time, feel that, especially when I'm in my own money stories of like, oh no, I only build this much this month. So I got to create, I got to, you know, I got to push. That's never served me. Pushing has never served me. And so that's, I'm not quite sure what the context (laughs) is, but yeah, there are times when I still struggle with taking personal days. I know you kind of gift some books that sort of, I think, resonate with the person that that you're gifting it to, but are are there certain books that are just really special to you that have sort of shaped who you are that that might be helpful to others listening? I mean, that's such a broad question. Maybe that helps sort of shape the this idea of self sort of introspection and and uh, helping you f- helping you, or maybe it's just having a coach is the more important than any book that you ever had. Maybe that's the sort of takeaway. Hands down. Hands down. Yeah. Because, you know, working with my own coach was the thing that changed everything because the stakes were so high, right? The pay, the, the fee point was painful, mm-hmm. right? And that was the moment of transformation for me where it was like, okay, am I going to, am I going to be serious about this or not? And that's the thing that exponentially shifted so much for me. Um, in terms of books that, that are very helpful, like the big leap by Dr. Gay Hendricks that really served me well. And he talks about the subconscious upper limits that we put on ourselves, the ways that we self-sabotage when we feel a little too good outside of our natural kind of default tolerance level. 
So getting a new job or getting a raise or falling in love or those sorts of things. We'll find ways to start thinking about the what ifs and right the terrible things that might happen. And we take ourselves right out of that good feeling instead of doing the inner work to be like, how can I be equal to this? How can I really embrace this and fill it fully and expand your ability to feel good? So his question in the book is like, what if you could feel good all the time? You know, so that's, that's a significant one. And in terms of coaching, uh, Steve Chandler and Rich Litvin's book, The Prosperous Coach, the title sounds so like <laughs> unappealing to me, but in the, in the book, what they share about is just this richness of what it looks like to be like a heart-centered, powerful coach that really allows for transformation in the people that they work with. So those, you know, those are some of the books that I think, especially early on working with my own upper limits and really deepening in what does, what does a real quality and deep practice look like? That those are two books that have really considerably helped, but each person is different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have a whole resource library where I, I, I think resources are one of the best, pla best ways that we can serve regardless of industry, you know, mm -hmm. podcast books, articles podcast episodes. It's like, what will speak to this person and support them with what they're up against right sure. now? Uh, since, since we know how important coaches are, you've helped me sort of launch this vision. Your coach helped you launch your, you know, into a life that, that you feel so much peace and lightness with. But we all know how many coaches are out there that may not be, they may not serve you well. Do you, like, what, what do you have a sort of how do you find a good coach? How did you find your coach? How did I, I mean, I found my coach really in a way that I don't think a lot of people do, but both Amber does a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of public speaking. And so someone had said, oh, you should join this speakers bureau because, you know, they're going to help you find more gigs or whatever. And so I was on the website looking at the speakers bureau because I was going to have a call with them and I, Amber's page popped up because she's a speaker with them. And so I looked at her page. I went to her website. I was like, this woman's really cool. I emailed her out of nowhere. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about enrolling. Would you mind sharing with me some of your experiences? And she was like, I'd be willing to get on the phone and share. Uh, here are options. And we got on the phone and talked. And that was kind of the opening. And in that conversation, she asked a lot about me and my vision and what was happening. And then she invited me to a conversation. She's like, if you want some support with that, then I'm willing to carve out time and and go deeper with you. I was like, oh my gosh, you are? That's amazing. And that was right early, early enrollment where I was being shown like the generosity of spirit of service is always service, whether there's a money exchange or not. Now the money exchange does come in when the stakes need to be higher. Sure. Um, so that, that was, I forget what your original question was, but that's how I met Amber in terms of coaches. Right. So you're, you experienced in your real initial conversation with her, maybe, maybe the, the sort of thing I'm, I'm taking away is that you, you immediately saw some of the, the sort of gifts that she was giving you with her experience share or whatever you want to call it. Maybe, maybe that, is that how you felt so comfortable that you knew that she was just a, a good coach or, I mean, maybe there was some initial feelings or feedback there. Yeah, I, I think that this is this is an important piece to your question, which I now remembered, which is like, how do you find a good coach? I think everyone's going to be different, right? So 
Amber's not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. You're not for everyone, right? But the people that you are for are really gonna, going to see themselves more accurately and more freely. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all about how do you feel when you're with them? And I think that this is an important distinction. Like a lot of coaches, and this is not their fault. I think this is how culturally we've understood coaching to be is a lot of coaches make it about them, what they can do, what they can offer, what they can, you know, and it's like, you're missing the point. It's like, what does this person in front of you want? It's like, what is missing? What are the barriers? What's the life that they're not living fully? And helping people, and again, that's why it's not for everyone, because some people want a recipe of do A plus B equals C, and they'll do that. How I see this sort of transformational coaching is, great, tell me what you're working with. Like, let's, let's do that. And then what's a recipe that works for you and your life and how you want to feel? Because there is no one size fits all. Now, some people who really want the one size fits all feels very insecure about that, and they don't want that. That's, a, that's like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's too scary, perhaps. But for people who are owners, right? And I work exclusively with people who are owners and willing to go deeper into that. That at least, that's my perspective on that. Now, for someone who's looking for a coach, it's like there are a lot of different people out there. But my biggest questions would be like, how do you feel around this person? Like, do you feel like you're the best version of yourself when you're talking to them? Do you feel like you're experiencing new insights about what's possible for you and practical support for that. And a lot of coaches coach on the goal line, which is like the specific outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I want a new job. I want to make more money. I want to have a Ferrari. It's like, great. Let's go backwards from there. And there you go. There's your 12, you know, your 10 point plan, Mm -hmm. you know, here here we go. And I think that exploring what I call the soul line, S-O-U-L. It's like, okay, if you had all that, how would your life be different? How would you, how would this change how you feel? How would this change how you look at yourself in the world? Because everyone wants something that they don't currently have or experience, right? And so exploring like the, the, the why underneath is where the real, the real beauty and the real transformation comes from. And maybe they do end up with the things that they really, right? The external things that they really want, but it's about like, okay, why do you want that? Oh, well, they don't have more time. They don't have more money. They don't have more freedom. Okay, well, what would that get mm-hmm. you? Well, then I wouldn't have to work as hard and I could relax and I could just know that I had done enough, right? Like that would be my story, mm-hmm. I would say. It's like, oh, well, in what ways do you feel like you're not doing enough? Mm-hmm. What kind of money would you like to have right now? What's in the way of that? It, it has a way of bringing someone to deeper ownership, right? In their own life, because everyone's the CEO of their own life, whether they're aware of it or not. <laughs> and sometimes we're not aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel uh, many times in my life, I have um, not been the CEO of my own life. And that's sure. a lot of sort of what this journey of mine is, is sort of uncovering is like, I'm now. I've now taken ownership. I want to be the CEO of my own life. And we, we you know, you were there before, but it's just, it's, uh, it's really interesting that some of us may not even be aware of it. Um, be mindful sure. of your time. It's, it's, we've, we've been going now for, for 90 minutes. And so, and, and maybe we'll do this again. If you're, if you're game, we can kind of explore sure. further at some time, maybe have a round two, but are there sort of any last things that you maybe want to like a, a message to the, to the audience, anything, anything that you want to talk about in particular, any sort of last words that you want to want to leave this podcast with before we before we wrap up? Sure. I think the the main question is like 
what is it that you, what's the life that you really want to live? Like really giving yourself freedom to think about that. Like what might that, what would that look like? And to get specific, you know, how do I want my time, my money, my emotional state? Like, what is it that would be amazing to experience just on a day-to-day, you know, basis? And, and really thinking about like, okay, is, is that what I really want? And what's in the way of it right now? And is that real? Is that true? Because I think death has taught me so much. And I think a lot of people experience this, right? Like when Kobe died, so much, right? Kelly Preston just passed away. It's like so much upset. It's like, but what is that? What is that teaching you about yourself? Because I think a lot of people are so devastated because they have unfinished business inside, right? They have dreams, they have goals, they have a vision, right? That is not current. There's a lot of people who are walking dead, right? So it's like, what would a fully awake life look like? I think that that's worth, worth it for people to sit because life is really precious. And so it's like, okay, what's the life you want to live before it's too late? Yeah. It's a good way to end the podcast. Sarah, thank you so, so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, I so appreciate been a fun, it. fun way to spend uh, an hour and a half on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I think that again, like what you're doing with this podcast, right, is, is such in service to people. And so I'm so glad that you are venturing out and putting yourself out there because that in and of itself is like a very courageous thing to do. And you have a lot of reasons why, right? This might not be the thing or the right time or whatever. And you're, you're choosing it's the right time. And then you're taking the steps forward. And so I think you facilitating these conversations is, is so incredible. So thank you so much for, for doing this and being an example to all of us of what's possible. Thank you, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only do I read every one of them, but leaving a review will hopefully help increase the visibility of the podcast which means that it will help reach other listeners that are also trying to discover what it means to live a full life. Additionally, part of the reason for creating the podcast was to start a conversation with others around the world. So if you'd like to connect, please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date on the latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email you receive will also come from my personal email address, so I'm happy to have a dialogue personally by responding directly. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you on Twitter and Instagram, and all of my social handles are available on my website, gregberard.com. Thanks for listening.